Well, today we're going to begin a message, a two-week series. Um, it's going to talk about things that are first that I think God wants to prioritize for our lives. And today, this, the sermon is called Primary Words. Primary Words. Turn with me over to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to read verse 8. 1 Chronicles 16, 8. It's regarding David's worship as a result of bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name and make known his deeds among the peoples. Lord, help as we study. Three things about this passage I'd like to address. One, how important it is for us to be very appreciative, that we need to have appreciation as a part of our lives. Two, we need to have invocation as a part of our life. And third, we need to have proclamation. So appreciation, invocation, and proclamation. The backdrop, David has just brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. David has been installed as king. Now he had been he had been anointed as king long before he ever reigned as king. Samuel anointed him before he ever killed Goliath. So he was somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or 16. Samuel was a resident prophet. It took him seven years to come to the throne. He was on the run from the reigning king, Saul, at that time. And Saul looked at him as an enemy, though David was not an enemy to Saul, nor was Saul David's enemy. But Saul was threatened by David's anointing and grace and tried to kill him. For seven years, he was on the run. Saul passed. David came to the throne, but not to the throne of Israel. He came to the throne of Judah. Being of the tribe of Judah, Judah installed him as king upon Saul's death. And there was a divided kingdom at this time. So David reigned in a place called Hebron, and Saul's son, Ishbosheth, reigned in Jerusalem. After two years of reign, with Ishbosheth and a lot of upheaval in the nation of Israel, David then comes to, to power after seven years of ruling in Hebron to rule over the entire nation. And one of his first acts is to make sure that the Ark of the Covenant has a place in his monarchy and in the home city. The Ark had been stationed at a person's home for a long period of time because they didn't know what to do with it, a man named Obed-Edom. It had been lost decades earlier to the Philistines in war. And the Philistines had a very difficult time with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some of you may not know what the Ark of the Covenant is. You'll have to refer back to Indiana Jones <laughs> to get a good, good picture of, of the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box about 18 inches tall and 2 feet wide of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And then on the inside were the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, that the children of Israel, to, to remember uh, for, uh, that, that God provided for the children of Israel when they were in the, in the wilderness, the jar of manna represented the provision that God made every morning. And then Aaron's rod that budded, representing the anointing of the priest to intercede on behalf of the people. And this ark represented the presence of God on earth. Now, it was a, a box that, that was overlaid again with gold and had two cherubim on top of it. And the top of the ark was called the mercy seat. It could not be touched by human hands. There were poles 
that were inserted into rings onto either side, and when the poles hit the rings on the corners of the ark, then the priests would carry, pick it up, and then carry the arks at four corners on the poles. And this ark was a, was a powerful place, not a powerful thing. There was nothing about the ark itself that was powerful, but it was when God came and represented himself in the mercy seat where it became powerful. Otherwise, it's kind of an idol kind of thing where you actually think that the thing has power, and that's where um, Indiana Jones kind of departs from biblical account. But... There's no question that God thought that this was a holy article, as were all of the articles in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle had been pretty much gone, pretty much set aside. Not because people didn't use it, but because there was nothing to set in it anymore. The Ark of the Covenant was the central piece. And when it was taken by the Philistines, where do you, what's the point of having the tent? And so it was there for about nine months, and, and then it got brought back because the Philistines had a hard time with the ark. A very difficult time with the ark. Meaning they had a very difficult time with God. Now, what's amazing is that God loves people. And that ark of the covenant represented his presence being in the midst of the Philistines to let them know he was God. But what people do too often is when God messes up their plan, they send God away. So they set the Ark of the Covenant up in their temple, the temple of Dagon. And Dagon was their god. Torso of a man, bottom half of a fish. And they set the Ark right beside it. They thought, oh, we've got the Israelites' god and our god. That's double god. We should, we should, we should rule the world. They came in the next morning and Dagon had fallen over. That's what God does to your gods. And that's mercy. All that was was heads up. He's not God. I am. And what do we do when we see our gods fall over? Rather than recognizing that God is God, we say, oh, no, our financial God has fallen over. Let me prop him back up. Our relational God has fallen over. Let me prop him back up. And so... They put him back up, and they said, whew, that was close. They came the next day, same thing had happened, except the head, w- and the head and hands were chopped off. They still didn't get the message. See, if God didn't like the Philistines, he just could have killed them. He was trying to minister to them. This was an evangelistic effort. He, they, you captured me. You think you've done something, but I want to capture you. They didn't get the message. Then God came with tumors, sickness, disease, and finally they sent God right on away, on a cart back to Israel. Nobody knew what to do when this cart with oxen, led by oxen, came. And so they set up the, 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 the uh, ark at Obed-Edom's house. They weren't quite sure what to do. And it stayed there for years, years. Saul died. David says, we've got to plant, find a place. So he brings the ark back home. And home. And he's excited. The first try at bringing the ark in wasn't too successful. Like a church service where people died. That's not what you want. It's not what you want. Please, nobody die today. Please. 
It's not a good thing. Word gets out, people don't come. Not a good thing. <laughs> Somebody died, and David thought, what? I'm trying to do a good thing here. I want to bring it in. And, and then finally he figures out he did something wrong in the process, gets the right recipe for, for transport, brings the ark in. He's so happy. Oh, it's a great day. And he sets up for a new kind of worship with the Ark of the Covenant. Never before had singing been done in God's presence. And so he sets up Asaph and Haman and Jeduthun as the three architects for how song ought to be orchestrated in the house. And these men write songs, they get great singers, they get musicians, and that becomes a template for what we do on Sunday morning. To that point, for a good 400 years, there had never been song, ever. Consistent and accurate worship, but no song. David, with his menstrual tendencies, brings in what is a strength of his life in order to worship God in ways that are new and fresh. And so in his tabernacle, which is called the Tabernacle of David, things were done that were never done. And he's excited about it. And, and what he does is he starts off in verse 8 with what ought to be done first. This is a song. Now, it's also reiterated in Psalm 105. And I've titled this message Primary Words because there are three concepts here that I think kind of overlay the idea of primary colors. Now, if you know anything about art, maybe you learned this in the second grade or forgot it when you did. There are three colors that are primary to our, our natural eye specter. There are things outside of our natural eyesight that we cannot perceive that are legitimate colors. But within the spectrum of our natural vision, there are three primary colors that make up all the other colors. We know they are primary because you can't join any other colors to make these colors. But all other colors come from these colors, red, blue, and yellow. So everything we see comes from a combination of these colors, green, purple, chartreuse all those colors <laughs> and I think David here is trying to let us know that there are primary words from which all proper speech spiritually can come first appreciation you ever want to approach God well you will never be wrong with thanksgiving it will open the door to everything Oh, we want to approach God whenever things are wrong, but rarely does thanksgiving precede our words. Lord, what are you doing? Help, please. Will he answer? He will attend your needs. But is it most proper to come that way? No. There are always things for which we can be thankful, even though it may appear that there is nothing for which you can be thankful. And your life may not be going the way you wish. Hardly does it ever. I mean, name a time when everything was great. Maybe on a couple of fingers you can count that, but not many. Most of the days, you have to wake up with something on the inside of you that says, I've got to overcome in an unusual way today. I have obstacles I haven't faced before. Or you've got more of the same. Whatever it might be, you've got to make yourself become something that you are not in order to get over that obstacle. Whether it's mind over matter for those who don't know anything about God or whether it's spending time in his presence so that you can be different when you face your normal circumstances, you rarely ever come to a day where everything is paved with roses. Usually speed bumps and mountains await you. 
So you've got to figure out how am I going to approach this? Am I going to complain about my circumstances every moment? Oh, that's easy. Everybody does that. How does a spiritual man or woman approach life? What does maturity look like? Here's a great prescription. Start off with Thanksgiving. Seven years old. No, probably five. Four. Grew up in church. There was a moment where you had testimonies. I grew up in two churches, one predominantly black, one all white. And the all white one barely received us. This was 1966. It was really a strange time in, in the world. But my parents moved us from the inner city when I was five to the suburbs. And while I was in the inner city, we went to a great church. And they would have testimony time. And the mamas, grandmamas of the church would get up. You didn't know how long it was going to be. You just didn't know. But you knew it would always start like this. I just want to thank God today for waking me up. It would always start like that. Now, there I was four years old thinking, you got the mic, and that's what you got to say. I mean, you're going to you're gonna have to come stronger than that if you got the mic. We all woke up today. <laughs> now, that's what my four-year-old mind was thinking. But now that I'm 55, I just want to thank God today. I just want to thank God for waking me up today. See, maturity doesn't wait for something extraordinary to happen for which you need to be thankful. And I'm not calling myself mature. I'm just saying I'm not as immature as I used to be. Oh, I'm grateful for breathing. Breathing is a good thing. I'm still here. If I wake up every day, it means that there is hope. God ain't done yet. He is not done yet. And whatever obstacle I may not have been able to scale yesterday, today I've got my God to help me. And if I come at it with strength of his, then I may be able to do it. Not my strength, his. New day. God, I'm grateful that you woke me up, that I can face the struggles of today and see you overcome. I am grateful for all of my life. I'm grateful for my circumstances, even though I may not like most of them. I know this. I've, I've, I've lived long enough to know that without the trial, I can't become what I need to be. I don't like them. I wish they wouldn't show up. They come unannounced. They don't make appointments. They just show up at my front door. And I'd like to say, no, you can't come in. But, but, but James, my least favorite apostle in the entire Bible... <laughs> I love him, but I don't like him. He says this in verse 2. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Really? Really? And I've learned to encounter trials with joy and tell them I may not like that you're here, but come here. Let me give you a hug because when you leave, I'm going to be better than when you showed up. Count it all joy. Appreciation opens the door to all good conversation. It helps your prayer life be right. Rather than complaining, you start from the premise of thanksgiving. All good conversation with respect to worship begins with thanksgiving. 
It allows for the proper perspective to be given to you so that you don't come at it from yours, but from his. Appreciation. David says, learn how to be grateful in all things. Paul says, when you pray, make sure you have the recipe that includes thanksgiving in all your prayers. Be anxious for nothing in Philippians, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Submit your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, only with thanksgiving now, the peace of God will superintend over your heart and mind. Guard your soul in Christ Jesus. If you feel weary to the point of anxiety and you feel fearful, insecure, it's because you haven't combined enough thanksgiving with your prayer. He knows what you need. You just aren't grateful for what he's given already. There's not enough thanksgiving that's come from your soul to let you... Listen to me. You need to be reminded of his goodness. And every time you are grateful, you have to remember for why. And when you remember, oh, he's taken me through this. He's done this for me. Lord, today ain't nothing. Today is nothing. But when you forget your gratefulness, when you don't add that to the mix... Your problem because a fresh new mountain that, that, that doesn't have any relevance to the ones he just leveled. Appreciation. Primary color. You can get all the, draw however you want. With the other words of worship and need, color outside the lines if you want. But this is a primary color. Secondly, Invocation call upon his name when we think about calling upon his name we think it's the person who's in trouble that needs to call upon his name and indeed that that that's true but that's not only that there is an there is a calling upon his name that invokes his presence into your reality his name is powerful his name is great his name is is so other that he couldn't explain it to man. Manoah, who was the father of Samson, we don't know his wife's name, but his wife had a visitation from an angel. And this angel said, you're going to bear a son. He's going to be unusual. He's not going to drink any wine. He's not going to have strong drink. He can't cut his hair. And while you are pregnant, don't you do any of that either. Don't you drink strong wine and don't you drink of the fruit of the vine. And you're going to have a baby this time next year. Now, she'd never had a child before. She goes back and tells her husband, Manoah. Manoah says, listen, if he comes to you again, tell him I'd like to talk to him. <laughs> now, I don't know that the angel was interested in talking to Manoah because he came to his wife without him. And there, there's some other things. I mean, I got a sermon on this one. We're going to bypass most of it. She, the angel comes again. And, and she goes and gets her husband. Manoah comes in and says, what shall be done for the child? To give you the disposition of how the angel did not want to talk to the man, he says, I told her already, just ask her. <laughs> I don't know what you did, Manoah. I do not know what you did, but whatever it was, it, it, it didn't make God happy. And then he says, um, when this thing happens, to whom should I refer the glory? What is your name? He says, why do you ask? Because it is wonderful. It's beyond your ability to comprehend. Moses asked. 
he asked. He said, when, when you send me to these people, who, who should I say sent me? And I, and I think there was a long pause. I am. Is that a name? <laughs> is that what, what I, it is so wonderful that it's beyond our ability to understand. But he tries to help us by letting us understand something of his attribute in that he always has been, he will be, and he is. But there's never a moment when we can characterize him as being only there or only there, or only here. I am. And this is why some Bible translations, when they translate Yahweh, which was the, 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 the words I am, we call it Jehovah, some Bible translations will just call him the eternal one. Because there is no literal translation for Yahweh. It just means I am. His name is amazing. But we as his people get to call on it. We get to invoke it in our lives. You talk about a privilege. If he reveals his name to you, it's because he wants you to use it. He wants you to identify with it. He wants to give it to you. If Bill Gates came to you and said, I'd like to call you by my name. Most of y'all would say, as often as you'd like, sir. As often as you would like. Because if I'm called by, does that mean you adopted me? And am I in your will? Do I get to call you my daddy? I know we're like two years apart, but I don't care. (laughs) I do not care. I'll take your name. God gives his people his name because he wants them to identify with him. You get to be a part of his family. He gets to care for you in particular. Where he cares for all of mankind, he cares for you in particular. The birds of the air capture his attention. And they only amount to a quarter. Jesus said two cents when I'm accounting for inflation. They only amount to a quarter. (laughs) He said, how much more will the Father care for you in Matthew 6? In particular, because you're called by his name, Christian, Christ-like. And this is why we need to hold his name in high regard and never take it in vain. Never. He thought it so important that he made one of the Ten Commandments about not taking his name in vain. Number three, don't take my name in vain. Don't do it. Now, there are two ways we could do that. Some people have relegated only taking the name of the Lord in vain to how they speak and using the name of Jesus as an expletive when something goes wrong or GDing something. By the way, you, you really don't want God to do that. D-A-M-N is a biblical concept. It's a bad place. It's a judgment. And you don't want God to do that to somebody. 
We're trying to save them, not damn them. I didn't curse. I did not curse. <laughs> Some folk go out of here, put me on Instagram. Pastor Brett cursed it. He said, damn. He said, damn. I ain't going to that church no more, no more, no more. God have mercy. Don't email me. <laughs> but you don't want to use his name like that because when you really need it, you will have diluted it so much that when it comes out of your mouth, it doesn't mean as much to you. Now, the name itself is powerful all by itself, but God is not, he's, he doesn't make his standard operating procedure to use things with, with respect to the supernatural without you. He's chosen to use people. And though he can do things independently, he's chosen to use people. So if you have not used the name regularly, properly, and you've used it without power, then when you need it, from your perspective, it's not used with power. In fact, doubt and unbelief because you're not quite sure whether it's going to work for you or not. So you don't want to dilute it by not using it when it's not needed. Don't take his name in vain. Use it only when you need it, and when you need it, it will have power. You invoke some things in the earth to change some stuff in the name of Jesus. Ooh, that name had power in the book of Acts. People rose from the dead who were dead. People who were lame walked. Folks who were blind saw things happened at that name. There, our, our speech needs to be more clear and more perfected so that God could, can use us and when, we, when our words emit from our mouth, power is encased in every syllable. In Matthew chapter 8, there was a, a Roman centurion in Jesus' hometown. Now, he, he was born in Bethlehem. He went to Egypt for two years. His parents moved back to, to Nazareth, from which they were. And then somehow, when Joseph was no longer around, they moved to Capernaum. I don't know what happened, but Capernaum was their hometown. And there was a Roman centurion that was in Capernaum. And he went to Jesus and said, I have a servant that's paralyzed and he is tormented. Could you please come and heal him? Jesus said, I'll come. Now, the servant was probably Jewish, which inspired the Roman centurion who didn't feel like he had any right to request help from a Jewish rabbi, uh, which made him feel more confident because his servant was Jewish. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And then the Roman centurion rethought the thing. He said, wait, 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 wait. I'm a man who's under authority, and I have authority over those who are under me. And when I tell one to go, he goes, and he does what I tell him to do. When I tell one to come, he comes. I think that'll work for you. Like, if you just, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not even worthy for you to come to my, if you just speak the word from here, my servant will be healed. Jesus looks at him and says, what's your name? Who are you? And then he looks at all the Israelites that are around. He said, I haven't found faith in none of y'all like I found it in him. None of y'all. He looks at the Roman centurion and says, go home. Your boy's healed. Jesus' words were so powerful that they were like the remote control. 
he set them from six miles away. And they, they had impact on somebody. The person upon whom they impacted didn't even hear them. <laughs> That's the way your words ought to be. You ought to be able to invoke power into circumstances. This is a primary color. Now, you can let your words do anything else they need, but this is primary. Primary. Lastly, proclamation. When God does stuff, you need to tell it. You need to let folk know. You need to let the believers know, and you need to let unbelievers know. How in the world are we going to get this message out if you don't talk? It is the most powerful message in the world, the gospel that man does not have to suffer the consequences of his misdeeds, that he can be forgiven for all of his sins, be right with God and have a home in eternity and make somewhat, some, something of eternity come here, something of heaven be represented on the earth if they will obey, that the reality can actually get better. There is no better message on the planet, and everybody needs it. If you don't talk, they won't know. Primary color. We are called to take these words to the world. And I beg you, please do not let the fact that you may not feel like you're much of a preacher. You don't have all the scriptures, though you need to read your Bible. You may not have all the scriptures, but you have a story. I was at a wedding yesterday, and um, we were at the rehearsal dinner, and there was a young lady who, who... I was co, uh, co-officiating with uh, the senior pastor of the church in North Carolina. And so we were set at the same table. And then there was a, a gentleman who was a part of the wedding party, and he brought his girlfriend. The girlfriend was not a part of the wedding party. And she was set at our table. And when I saw the, the other minister and myself, and then the other minister's wife, and then these two other folks, I said, I'm sorry, I don't know how you drew the short straw, but you got two preachers at the table tonight. Sorry. <laughs> And the, the girl laughed, and, and the guy laughed, and said, oh, we're happy. 45 minutes into all the small talk, she then looks at, at me, and she says, I, I, have, I have a question. Um, I grew up atheist, and um, I'm really now confused, which is progress. <laughs> That's progress. We're moving in the right direction. She said, I, I, I just want to know, um, you all are ministers. I, I, I've never had a conversation. Why do you all do what you do? Now, it doesn't normally happen like that. I mean, it's T-ball. It's T-ball. You pray for moments like this. It doesn't happen like that. Usually, I have to open the door myself. But somebody came into my world and said, please help me. It was so great. So I shared with her. And then I shared with her the next day. And there were tears. I didn't mention one scripture. I just shared my life because she wasn't interested in chapter and verse yet. You got to know where people are, but you better have a story. You better have a story. And after I shared, I prayed for the presence of God just filled the area. Two seats, two chairs, just that little area. God came and filled it. She was weeping. She said, why am I crying? <laughs> it's the presence of God. I said, I'm going to send you books. I said, here's my email. Let's talk. 
This girl's brilliant. I mean, she's brilliant. She got to a PhD by passing a master's in, in, in bioengineering. Right out of undergrad, straight to PhD. I said, is there a magna or summa associated with your degree? She said, yeah. You got you to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. Proclaim what God. It's the only way we can advance his kingdom in the earth. Is if people get right. Primary color. However you want to color outside the lines or in the lines. Or different colors. I don't care. But make that primary. Come to God with appreciation before you come to him with anything else. In your circumstances, invoke the power of almighty God. Bring his glory down. Let's not just figure out how to reserve our place in heaven, though it is. Let's make sure we can figure out how to get heaven on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As it is in heaven. Bring it here. And let's tell as many people. These are the most primary words. I can find in all the scripture. They are the primary colors. Let's make all different kind of colors with your personality and your workplace and your, your background and, and all, it, it spruce it up. But remember, these things are non-negotiables. You want to speak right with God, to God, for God? Do this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask your blessing upon us. Please help us to speak well have primary words.